Hello and welcome to the Hello Judges podcast. My guest this week is Canadian Brister champion Ben Putt. Ben has won the Canadian Brister Championship six times. I caught up with him the day after his most recent win. Ben is representing Canada in the World Brister Championships right now. He's a seasoned competitor, he's what I'd consider one of the OGs, so it was an absolute pleasure to have him on the podcast. I've put this podcast into glass syringes to preserve the espresso as it cools down, as well as putting it in a sous vide at 55.5 degrees C, the optimum temperature to consume a podcast. Enjoy. Hey Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. No, amazing. Like we're speaking just uh, two days after you won the Canadian Brist Championships. Yeah, it was a, a very big weekend. Uh, it was a super busy weekend because they they fit on the first day. They fit twelve competitors into one day. Um, but yeah, it's it's still fresh and new, and now it's trying to plan for worlds. So, how does it uh, work in Canada? Do you have like regional events and then sort of a semi-finals and finals? What's the format? Yeah, so in Canada, they they sort of do it. They they call them uh, qualifiers. So there's two of them. One is usually out west, and one is in the east. You can go to either one. Um, usually you you'll do it locally because Canada's so big that the flights to go east or west can be quite expensive. The top six from each of those qualifiers qualifies to go to nationals. So you have nationals, which is one day of um, like a prelim, and then they do top six for finals. Awesome, makes sense. Um, I suppose like it's fairly similar in most different places. Like, but Canada's so huge. Um, how many competitors in total is there usually in Canada? This year, I think we had about 30. So we don't have like the, because Canada's not a, we're, we're a big country, but population wise, we're not, we're not that big. We don't have like other countries where you have hundreds and hundreds of competitors. What we do have though, I think is a, a very competitive scene. So even, even the new competitors now have really good coffees. They're making really good coffee. And then there's lots of seasoned ones where they have, they finaled in other uh, worlds and other events and things like that. So it, it's a very difficult competition, even though there are about usually 30 to 40 uh, competitors. Awesome. Makes sense. So I suppose let's wind it right the way back. How did you first get into competing? Yeah, kind of, I think kind of randomly, to be honest. So I was working at a shop called Phil and Sebastian. They're here in Calgary. And the one of the owners, Phil, decided that he was going to compete. And he needed someone to sort of to help him um, and kind of learn along the way. And so I helped him. This was back in like 2000. I think it was like 2009 um, or 2010. Uh, he, he went and competed and he, he made finals in Canada, but didn't win. But after that, I sort of had a bit of like the bug. Um, started competing, uh, didn't didn't make finals my first year, and and so that was like a bit of a wake up call. And after that, started to try and really go for it. And then I proceeded to get second in Canada three years in a row, <laughs> and and two of the times to to people that were close friends, and we actually trained together. And then finally managed to win. I won um, four four Canadian Barista Championships. Took uh, two years off to coach. Uh, went back and then went back to my old ways and got second again to another person I trained with. And then and then the last two years, I, I've been fortunate enough to win those ones. So is that six times in total been Canadian Barista Champion? Yeah, 
Yeah, we're at six now. And also, so last year you were Brewers Cup champion as well, right? Yeah. So last year, I had I had done Brewers in 2017 and got second then as well. Um, I'm very good at, at getting second. Um, and and did it. And then after that, every single Brewers Cup, I was actually out of the country when it happened. And so I told myself, if it's ever around, if I'm ever around when the competition is happening, I'll I'll enter. And so entered and and I think I think Brewers is very, very hard, but in terms of being able to put together a speech, like the time constraints are a little bit looser. So it's I think it's equally as hard as Barista, but in terms of being able to put together some semblance of a presentation, you can do it in a bit of a sh- shorter order. So went in, did that, and and the big thing there, I, I had a good coffee, but I also I think compulsory sometimes it really works for you and sometimes it, it doesn't. And at nationals, the compulsory really works for me. So it was super exciting. Maybe not the best idea to compete. I can so I competed in Brewers and Barista at the same event. I was also coaching someone at that event. So I'm hoping that not having all those time commitments this year will will lead to a, a better better success in Barista. Yeah, last year, so you were in Melbourne, right? And you were doing both competitions simultaneously. Yes, and even even for them to schedule it, it was it was super difficult. Um, they had to really adjust schedules. So, like I, I competitor meetings and things like that. It was a lot of different things. It was fun, uh, but definitely prevented me from from fully focusing on both. But you still made uh, finals in the Bristol Championship despite spinning all those plates. Yeah, luck- luckily enough, yeah, I was able to make finals. It was it was really exciting. Um, I think. I think finals is such a hard thing to attain that every time I'm there, I, I feel very, very fortunate. Awesome. Also, so in Melbourne, I remember you posting that you got like a perfect tech score in the uh, preliminary rounds, right? Yeah. So uh, the the last year I got second in Canada was to um, one of my coworkers, Jill. She was the Canadian barista champion when Worlds was in Milan, so it'd be 20, 2021. Um, and and we were four points apart. Um, and a big part of her success was that she knew she needed to improve her tech. So she jumped in and really worked on tech. And then so coming into Melbourne this year, um, in the regional, I had I got second. And a big part of it was my tech was a little bit sloppy. I had a presentation that was packed very full. And this is one of the trade-offs. If you make a really busy presentation, you will likely lose some tech um, unless you really work on it. Because... There's more to do. You're often presentations now. You're talking while you're doing things, and so it's harder to stay clean. So after that regionals, Jill really decided that our tech needed to be better, and we spent a lot of time on it. I did not think I would get a perfect score in tech, um, but we definitely put the work in. And and when you look at worlds now and the separation between 15th place and 16th place, so basically the separation between semis, making semis and not making semis, it could very easily be your tech that that's little bit that gets you over because now it's it's just a few points now that separate separate those spots. Yeah, it's funny when you look through a tech score sheet because it all seems like super straightforward. It's like, did you do this? Yes or no? Uh, what was the hardest thing that you found yourself having to work on tech-wise? Yeah, so the hardest, th- this is to me the key. So when you it's called consistent dosing and distribution or something like that. So basically they're looking how you put coffee in the basket. And once that coffee's in the basket, how do you move it throughout the basket that it's even? 
And I worked bar, I'm not on bar much anymore, but I worked bar for a long time. And you would look at your coffee and you would adjust the coffee based on how it looked. And the problem is, so let's say your dose the first time it's more towards the handle. So you knock on the other side and it moves the next time it's further away and you switch. I'm used to responding to how the dose looks and that will make the coffee taste better. But the tech judge will say, hey, you didn't actually do it the same. And so what you need to work out is um, is a system and a, and a series of steps that regardless of how the coffee is dis- distributed when you first dose it, is going to move it in that way. So that probably means more taps. It might mean like having to use a distribution tool more. Because um, what would always happen, and Jill got this, like called me on this quite a bit, is that let's say I did like two knocks on each side and then used a distribution tool. If it looked weird, I would just knock it again, and, and which is the right call for taste, but then I would lose those tech scores. So basically what we did is we looked at the maximum amount of distribution I had to do. So what happens if the dose is bad? And then we added those extra knocks um, so that no matter what, I'm always doing it the same. Um, and even if it's weird, it's still going to level the bed correctly. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's one that catches quite a few people out. Uh, like I've noticed it, particularly in the UK, like I had issues with it. It's uh, it's definitely a tricky one to get right. Yeah, because the what you have to realize is that the tech judge, judges don't care what anything tastes like. It's all, to be honest, it's all the optics of what you're doing. And so making sure all those optics uh, really worked. This this year, I, I'm going to take this to Worlds as well, but I... And I'm sure someone else has done this, but this year on stage, I actually wore like a, I, in, in North America, it's called a fanny pack. I don't know if it's called the same thing. And I don't think it is, but like a little, like a little backpack around my waist. And I kept four claws in there. And so basically any time I had a spill, I immediately had a cloth. Um, and I think that actually helped my tech uh, this time around. I don't know what was, the UK name is. I think it's definitely different. I was going to ask you about that. We've got an equally bad name for it in the UK. We call it a bum bag. <laughs> That's maybe better. Well, I need to figure out the international term. So when I go to Athens, you know, I, I can I can say something non-offensive. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how it translates to the uh, the Greek audience, but you've got international judges, so it's all good. Yeah. So um, assuming you're going to be taking pretty much the same or very similar routine to Athens seeing as you've got about a month to get ready. Yeah. So one of the advantages Canada has this year is we actually adopted the new rules for our, for our nationals. I don't know how many countries have or haven't, but there's a number of, of I, I don't think the U.S. did this year. I don't think Australia did this year. And so I, I do think I have a, at least a slight advantage over some countries in that I've done a routine. On the new score sheet, um, we have Canada's a great selection of judges. Our, our rep is like really knows the rules. So it's basically just just tweaks. So this week I'm meeting with all my judges again. I'm meeting with like the head judge. Um, I'm going to spend some time with some Canadian judges uh, that are WCE certified, um, but not not massive changes. I'm, I'm happy with the set. The scores I got were actually quite good, so that's that's the big one. It's just if your scores aren't good and you and you sneak out a win, you you have to sort of like accept the fact that you have to start, kind of start over. But but things went well, so there's it's mostly just tweaks and polishes more than anything. Great, and the uh, Canadian championships aren't like officially live streamed, so I don't want to like uh, ruin any sort of big reveals or surprises, but. 
Could you give us a bit of an insight into what your routine's about this year? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so so the, it starts from like a, a bit of an idiosyncrasy about me. I often eat more coffee than I drink it. Like I, I roasted for a long time and, and you know, like you finish a roast, you, you eat a bean and, and, and you check the roast, but sometimes you eat one that's like just amazing. Right. And so from that many years, I've, I've just thought like we often are, are tasting like the, the cumulative average of, of many things, especially coffee. Like you, you brew a coffee, it's like hundreds of beans all mixed together and, and some of them are better than others. And so sort of taking that idea that we taste the average the average of, of coffee every time we drink and trying to figure out different ways in the coffee chain that we can heighten those averages to try and improve them. So basically, I, I start the presentation saying that everyone's drinking average coffee around the world and then from there sort of explain and, and go through things. I like it. It's exciting. How do you uh, like how do you how hard do you find it to come up with a new routine every time you compete? Yeah. Um, so for a long time, my routines have been led um, by me wanting to do new things. Um, so if I have a, a technique or something like that, so they often they they write pretty easily. Um, the other thing too is is comp has really been a major major part of my life for so long that I'm I'm kind of always immersed in it. So routines come out at a, at a decent rate. Um, I would say that starting to slow, like I've I think. I've, this is my 11th year competing and I there were years that I would re do new presentations so we're probably at 15 or 16 programs um, and so they still come but maybe a little bit slower than they used to 11 years of competing is uh, quite the uh, quite the history yeah uh, I think oh sorry um, I, I think that especially in Canada for a long time now now with the the advent of social media and things to learn how to compete is easier. It's still hard. It's, you still should find people to reach out to. But when I first started competing in like 2010, 2011, the ability to actually learn things was, was almost impossible. And so you'd have to go and compete, do, do poorly or okay, get your score sheets and, and try and learn from that. So your, your iterations were annual, right? So um, anytime you wanted to prove it was these steps in one year increments, and so I think that's part of the reason why it's taking me so long is just th that those that information wasn't available. And now I think it's a bit easier where you can jump on. There's lots of great info available for people to learn and, and reduce those iterations. Yeah, definitely. And like, I really like uh, the couple of videos you've been putting out reviewing, um, you know, routines from last year in Melbourne. I think if people haven't been on the Monogram YouTube channel and check those out, it's definitely worth watching them. Oh, thanks. We're gonna do we're gonna do more of them. One of my favorite things that they the WCE has done in the past is the commentary. Um, I think, like any any sport, um, if if the sport's complicated, then you need someone to sort of give some commentary on what what they're doing, what are the major important moments, and so both. I'm trying to do it both from a, a standpoint of trying to make competition more accessible to competitors. But also, hopefully, that someone that doesn't know anything about competition can sort of see the difference. Oh, I think one of the one of the great tragedies of coffee is that it's brown. Uh, like you watch like Top Chef or all these cooking shows, even though you can't taste the dish, you're like, oh, that that looks really good. And if you look at a barista competitor, one espresso could be horrible and one espresso could be life changing, and they look exactly the same. And sometimes the good one looks worse than the bad one.
Yeah, I never thought of it like that. Like the um, underneath the crema, many sins can hide. Exactly, exactly. So over your uh, 11 years of competing, there's been like a lot of rule changes and like general evolution. And like you said, like personal evolution from learning how to compete and how to best score. Um, so there's been a lot of changes. Is there anything else that you'd like to, like I know we've just had a fresh set of rules put in. Is there anything else that you'd still like to see change though? Well, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I think the, I don't, I don't know how to do this one, but the, well, I think one of the hardest things, both I think for judges and competitors, is that there's no real, there's no real vetting of the information that's shared on stage. And so um, there's, no, there's no way for a competitor that really has researched their stuff and figured out to be celebrated more than a competitor that has maybe made some things up and, and fudged some things. Same thing for a judge. They have no way of saying, I don't, I don't actually think this, this happened. And I don't know, maybe that's not important, but I, I do think one of the things that happens, especially at WBC, is the people that make top six, especially, what they do is assumed to be correct. Right. And, and this, this is the maybe it's more about just releasing scoring. So let's say let's say I go to Worlds or someone goes to Worlds and they win. The spectators assume that they won every category. Right. So let's say they had a new way of preparing espresso. Spectators are going to say, oh, that was the best way to prepare espresso and, or their and their milk. Oh, that was the best way to do the milk. And that sig drink was the best. And it sometimes sometimes it's one thing that pushed them over the edge. Sometimes it is everything. But I wish there was more, um, more tra transparency on that, where it's like, where we don't just accept what the top six have done as like the new gospel. Um, I don't know if that's a rule change or just or just people like you and myself talking about comp more. Um, but I do find that tricky because because it can mislead people a lot if if something is done incorrectly. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of um, fact checking that needs to happen across, not just like throughout competition, but the industry as a whole, I think, like certain claims that, you know, different roasteries might make in regards to different stuff. It's a, it's a minefield. Absolutely. I think one of the nice things about WC is the, the proof is in the pudding a little bit. If you say you are doing something, if you're actually doing something on stage and you say it makes it better, the judges are are really really good and they'll be able to evaluate it i would just like to see it cracked cracked open a little bit more awesome so shifting gear a little bit what coffee did you take to um the canadian championship this year and why did you choose it yeah so uh one of the one of the things i was talking about in terms of averages is um is moisture content of coffee that we're roasting and so we we dry coffee 10 to 12 percent and and that's actually a big part of that number is just making sure that it's stable that the water activity is at a point where you're not going to get bacterial growth or, or mold growth um, but actually if you have coffees that are higher moisture they can taste better they're just very very fragile so i i've worked with the lamastis family um, for a really long time they own alita uh, alboro and uh, luito they're Panamanian producers that have produced amazing coffee. We're, we're really good friends. I've, I coached Wilford. That's sort of how we got to know each other. And I, I love their coffees and I, I love who they are as people. And they, they let me pursue some of these um, ideas. 
So when I was in Panama, I cupped a bunch of coffees, um, chose for my milk course, I used their other farm. They had a natural gesha that they fermented in a tank for seven days. So it was really great coffee for milk. But on the espresso side, we cupped a bunch of stuff and there was, they have these, they have raised beds. And so, and so we went out to the raised beds and I basically said, are there any coffees on these beds that are high moisture? And we found, we found one of them that was high moisture. It was from a great part of their farm, but we actually, I actually didn't uh, up my competition coffee until it was back in Canada. That's how, that's how confident I am that they have good terroir and they're, they're good picking and, and good processing that basically I just picked the coffee that had high moisture and went back and it worked out. Amazing. And so the coffee you used for your espresso, was that uh, a Gesha as well? Yeah, it was a wash. It was a washed. I have like a, I, I actually really like naturals, but lately I've just had a soft spot for, for washed. I think that the acids are sometimes a little bit more refined. Um, and the other thing that I find hard with naturals is, is washed to me are often like classic notes, like a, a washed Gesha tastes like, like fresh citrus or fresh florals and then naturals because I think from like intense fermentation adds a lot of complexity. Suddenly it's not just the fruit. It's like a cooked version of it or like a stewed version or spiced or things like that. And so I find to get descriptors often from washed coffees, it's, it's a little bit easier. So aside from uh, this family uh, picking a coffee that sort of fit in with an idea that you'd already had, like a, what would you suggest to other competitors looking for a competition coffee? Like what should they be looking for? Yeah, I think, I, I think this, it might be uh, uh, obvious to some people, but a big thing for me is for a long time, I think the thing that we fall in love with with coffee is the flavor of coffee, right? It's tasty notes, it's things like that. And it can be easy to get won over by the tasty notes of a coffee and forget about the tactile, like the, the mouthfeel. If you look at the score sheet, tactile is still like, I can't remember if it's with the new ones, if it's more than, than taste now, but it's, it, if it's not higher, it's right up there with it. And so one of the things I'm trying to be more mindful of when I'm cupping coffees for competition is like, does it have, does it have a low dryness? That's the first one. If there's any dryness, even if the flavors are amazing, that coffee's just not going to work for espresso. And then the other one, the rules are starting to shift. They, in the rules, it does say that you can serve a light bodied coffee and it can still score well but if we're if we're on if we're being honest about it we would all rather have an amazing coffee that had heavier body rather than lighter coffee the lighter body so the other thing i'm looking for on on the table is does it have some weight to it and if it's between that's also a nice way to to try and select if you're if you're stuck between a couple options is focusing in in which coffee has a heavier body um because i think it's easy just to get one over by flavor Yeah, definitely it is. We see like a lot of competition coffees, um, particularly like in the UK at the moment, I've noticed there's a huge trend towards a lot of um, anaerobic coffees with like really high sort of wild acidities. And uh, yeah, definitely need to think a bit more outside the box rather than just the, the flavor notes that you might see on a bag. Yeah, sorry, there's a timer going off. Let me just grab this. <laughs> Sorry about that. The, the, the kids found the timer from, uh, from actually me competing and <laughs> playing with it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, 
I think that I think flavor is the easiest way to communicate with people. And so we focus, I think, which is great. I think it's great for consumers that we are getting so good at communicating flavor. But the next step is, yeah, is like figuring out texture and mouthfeel and, and all those sorts of things. Um, and I do, this is just, this is clearly just my opinion, but I think it is easier to adjust and modulate flavors of coffees. I, I don't think you can make a coffee taste like something else, but you can, you can push flavors up and down within a coffee, but I think the the texture and the mouthfeel is a little bit set that if you if if you have a coffee that has a good texture to it on the cupping table, that it will translate to espresso. And if you have a dry cut if you buy a coffee that's dry, you are gonna have a very hard time adjusting that texture. Yeah, definitely. There's only so far you can go with like brew ratio, etc. Yeah. So we've got about a month until WBC in Athens. Um, what does your practice schedule look like? So I know you mentioned you've got, um, you know, the judges from the Canadian Championships and some ones that judge internationally coming in. But how else are you preparing? What else is going on? Yeah, this is so. After I won, I was on Instagram and, and Daniel Ricci, who's the Italian champion. He, you know, like the Instagram countdowns. Um, it had fallen below like one month and I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I got a lot to do. So the first thing is trying to, Canada's on, on 110 power. So any piece of, piece of equipment that I use, I have to find a, a Greek version. So I'm going to be, I have friends in Greece that I can ship stuff to. So I will be going online and sending a bunch of <laughs> Greek equipment or that, that 220 power stuff that, that one's key. Cause just try and get that out of the way. The other big one that I'm going to try and do this year, coffee connects lots of random people, but one of my good friends is, um, he's like a coach for professional athletes. Um, he's coached uh, like tennis stars and, and NHL players and, and things like that. So I'm going to hit him up to try and make sure I'm, I'm healthy. Um, I know comp, the day after competition, you feel like you got run over by a bus. Um, and then traveling and flying internationally and training. So a big thing for me is going to try and make sure that I'm, I'm healthy. Energy levels are good. So I need to build. I'll actually meet with him as well. And then sort of get into to a little bit of practicing. I have to roast all my coffees. Um, it's going to be a very, very big packed month. But I do feel like, again, because I, I competed on the, the new rules, I actually think I might be a even though I only have a month, I think I, I have a bit of a head start in that regard. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, like here in the UK, we were still on the um, on the old rules. And I think it was only last month or like just before last month that we had our finals. So there's a lot of like learning and catching up to do. Yeah, we were also lucky enough this year that we we used, we didn't use the My 75s, but we used the, everyone had to use Mythos. Um, and in previous years, they've just let everyone bring whatever grinder they want. So I've often not had to roast. I've had to change my roast profiling between uh, nationals and worlds. But this year, because they kept it all on that grinder, I feel more confident that the roasts that I, I roasted for this nationals, I can repeat and use at worlds. Excellent. And you're roasting on a stronghold, right? Yeah, it's it's been really fun. Um, for a long time, before we had the Stronghold, we we wrote, we also have a Loring and we have an Akawa. And so the Loring's a 35 kilo Loring. And so your option was either to 
roast all the coffee you had sourced in one batch and, and hope for the best, or to do 50 grams at a time and have no time to practice. Uh, and and pretty much every single time we had to choose one of those options. Like, for example, I competed in 2017 in Korea, and I, I think I spent more time roasting on the Akawa than I did actually practicing. So now to have the stronghold is is really nice. Um, I think the roasts off it taste really, really good. The batch size is really nice for comp. Um, so yeah, I think that's also like a, a nice a nice advantage going in that I have a, a roaster that I think roasts really good coffee and, and is a batch size that, that's nice. Yeah, definitely. Like the, I think there's a lot of trust in the stronghold technology and the sort of competition scene. There's a, a lot of people using them and getting good results. Yeah, I think they do. Um, there's still a bunch of un unexplored stuff on it in terms of roasting, but they have one of the things that makes them kind of neat is they have both like uh, convective energy from air. And then they also have these halogen lights that they're using infrared. Um, and so I don't think I definitely haven't figured out all the, the features behind it. But I think this combination of different heat sources is, is definitely doing good things. And, and the roasts that come out are just really clean and, and well developed. <laughs> coffee for espresso for competition differently to how you would say if you use a stronghold to roast a batch for in one of your cafes um not too much so one of the things that that we're kind of lucky about is we obviously i think that that it's not like we're serving alita gesha in the cafes every single day but in terms of our our approach and what we think is is good what happens on stage is the same approach and thought as what happens uh, in the cafes so again, like, so I'm, uh, we have a roasting team, but I, I cup with the roasting team and, and we, uh, pro, and I adjust profiles based on that. And then my coach this year is, is Jill and she does all the quality control for the cafes. So the same palette that's trying to decide what's going to taste good at worlds and at nationals is the one that's adjusting the cafes. So the only adjustments is, yeah, we're probably not serving baller gashes every single day, but the roast profiles across the board are, are pretty much the same. Awesome. So you've got a pretty consistent and reliable feedback loop then. Yeah. Yeah. And even I think that I've seen this success on the brewer side too, where uh, so uh, like two weeks ago, Cole Tarot just won Canadian Brewers Cup. Um, he's a two-time Canadian barista champion. He finaled both times, like really great coffee person. Um, but I think part of the reason he won Brewers is he had been brewing coffees at trade shows for like the last two years. And he basically just took that recipe and and modified it a bit, but used it both, I think, on stage and in compulsory. And so I think there's something to that where like if you if you're trying to always if you don't have to switch between those sort of two worlds of like your coffee shop to something different than what you want to do on stage, I think it's easier because anytime you're making coffee, you're kind of practicing. And I think for, for me, that's been nice. Yeah, there's no recalibration of palate or trying to figure out acidities or anything. I think it was the same for Cole, where basically, at least in compulsory, I think it basically felt like he was making his morning cup of coffee. He, he just, and you look at, you look at Brewer's Cup and, and compulsory is so complicated, right? Like no one, no one makes coffee. This is one of the things, not to go too much into Brewer's, but this is one of the things I find funny about Brewer's Cup is the the coffees that the way that we make compulsory no one ever makes in real life 
um, or almost never. Like you don't see someone do like a massive arrow press and then bypass with like really cold water. And and so I do like something about Cole's approach where it's like, this is how I make coffee. I think it tastes good. And that's how I'm gonna brew compulsory. There's, uh, there's no harm in getting into brewers a little bit. Like how did you approach uh, compulsory last time? Yeah, so compulsory, I did it with sort of iron sharpens iron. So when Wilford did compulsory, oh, like when I coached Wilford in, it would have been Boston. So like 2019, um, we actually had a, a lot of help from um, from the Australians. So S Sam Cora helped Wilford with, with compulsory. And so we had this compulsory recipe that was like a knockout compulsory recipe. And I, I wanted to see if we could continue to brew compulsory well. So I took a different brewer and every day that Wilford would brew compulsory, I would also brew compulsory against him. He had an AeroPress, I had a Clever, and he he would destroy me like every single time. And but then over time, like I would like we oh we had always cut blind, and at first it was super obvious, and then they started to taste closer and closer. So that's I think that's one of the hardest things with compulsory if you don't have people to train with is that you need a reference because um, that's basically what the compulsory competition is. Like everyone brews one. I, whether or not they directly get compared, they are thinking of all the, they're all brewing the same coffee. And so I think the key is finding someone you can brew against because someone will always win, right? There'll always be one coffee better. And then that whoever lost, they have to equal you. And then it's sort of this back and forth. And I, I think that really helped me get a good compulsory brew. Awesome. That's a really good answer. So are you naturally quite a competitive guy? Yeah. Yeah. Like to, uh, to a fault I, and something as I grow older, I'm trying to like learn how to deal with because I don't, I don't think it's that healthy mentally sometimes. Like a good example is um, like my, when my, I first got married, like my, we would like, I would read the paper and there'd be the comics or something. My wife would start reading over my shoulder and the, the fear that she might finish like a paragraph sooner than me, which she did, like she's a, a fat, super smart, she's a fast reader. Was, was too stressful for me. And eventually, yeah, I told her pretty soon, but eventually, like, just so you know, anytime you read over my shoulder, like, I just start, start just trying to read as fast as I can to get to the end. And so if that's like, a, that's a, a bite-sized piece of, of how competitive I am. I, I love the competitions. It's not just that, but um, it is a, a big part of what's kept that spark going um, so far. Do you think you'll ever stop? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. So this this comp was actually, I used to say I would never stop until I had one. Um, I even said this last year, uh, and I, I have like, I have two or three routines that I that I've still thought of and could do, but I do feel like this might be the the last year. Um, I've done a lot. I feel like um, I've been very fortunate to make finals the amount of times that I have, and I also just feel like there's other things that I'd like to do in comp. Um, so anytime I'm competing, you miss, you miss a bunch of stuff, right? Like you don't get to hang out with people as much. You don't get to help people as much. Um, so I think the next, the next chapter of comp for me, I think is maybe more on like a assisting people side. I also, when I, I took two years off and coached and I, I really love that. So I do think this could be kind of the, the last chapter, which makes it like even more exciting and, and, and a lot to it. It also made nationals very stressful because, one of the things that I think about a lot, not just for myself, but other competitors, is is the, the I think a big thing is sharing your idea with the world. And the 
there are so many good ideas that don't make it to finals. And I think, again, this comes back to when people make finals, we assume that they, they know everything. And I feel, I feel for all the, the competitors that had beautiful presentations that never made it to finals in their own countries or, or never made it to finals at Worlds. Um, because that that beautiful idea just didn't get heard by, I wish it had been heard by more people. And so the stress at Nationals sometimes is like, is this is this the only time this this presentation gets to live, essentially? Like, because it lives in your head and then you get to make it once. And is this the only time people get to see it? And so it was a bit of extra pressure, but I'm, I'm excited I get to share it again. Other, um, other than the ones of your own, are there any of those um, routines that you've seen in the past? Uh, they could be like well-known ones or any at all that you're like particularly fond of, like one or two that like always stick with you? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, Colin Harmon, there's a sad thing that there's not as many of these videos online anymore. Colin Harmon, the, the Irish barista champion, always had a real knack for putting together routines. Um, I love the way he he spoke to people, um, but he had this one routine in Vienna where he basically made all his drinks super fast, like super super fast. Like he, this was the days where like espresso was just like in a cup and and, and you drank it, and milk was you know just in a cup and you drank. But at the he he rushed through everything like in a controlled way. But at the end, just spent a bunch of time talking with his judges, um, which I think that doesn't necessarily he made finals, but it doesn't necessarily lead perfectly to the score sheet but i thought it was just this idea to like really figure out the parameters of the competition and and do things that are really conversational because i do think a, a big thing for me is um i think what you say on stage is maybe even more important than the coffee you make because that coffee you make four people get to taste they never taste it again and so when people have ideas that they can share and that can move and change things i think those are the the most important uh champions for sure I also think Alejandro in Bogota in 2011, I think, um, where he basically brought coffee flour, coffee cherry. This now seems, these are things that we have tasted now and, and you can buy cascara and coffee flour in coffee shops. But back then, like no one had, no one had ever seen some of those ingredients on stage. And I, I think that was also an incredible one. But to be honest, we're at pl 20 plus years of barista competitions. There are so many cool comps. Yeah, absolutely. I, like every year I'm thinking like, where could it possibly go next? Like what is totally. the next thing? And then it does. That's the thing that shocks me. It's like, sometimes I'm like, oh, the competition, like it's people, all, all the old guards say this, they're like, all oh, the competition is stagnated. But then like the next year, it's like uh, this, the, like a new, a new idea or a new thing. And I think the thing that's the most interesting to me is that people will gravitate towards the same ideas in the same year. Like, so there's like, it's kind of not a, there's like a zeitgeist to things where, where the industry sort of hones in on something and agrees that that's the next step in quality. And I think that's super exciting. You never know before you get to worlds, what's it going to be. Uh, but it's always cool. Like once you see it start to form, you're like, okay, that's, that's the thing this year. That is the new thing. Yeah. And it definitely comes in waves. Like for example, there was, um, the year of eugenoides and i think from that a lot of you know producers might then be like oh how can we get a hold of this how can we plant it and then in like three or four years from then when it starts to crop we might get a second wave of you know availability of eugenoides and competition things like that yeah and on the eugenoides front the thing i'm super interested to see is because right now it's all just coming from immaculata 
And I'm super curious to see how terroir starts to play a factor into that variety. I think, I think that would be the next step for eugenoides. And yeah, let's say in four or five years when people have it produced, like what does it taste like in Panama or what does it taste like in Costa Rica? So I, I think, I think eugenoides will make a, a resurgence. Yeah, for sure. Because the, there's so little of it about at the moment. I think as soon as the availability creeps up, we'll start to see more different things happening. So, do you have a favorite routine um, from previous years? Uh, sorry, you cut off from saying that favorite routine that I've done for previous years? Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, to be honest, 2017, uh, that was the in Korea. That one was, was really neat. That was the first time I had done freeze distilled milk on stage. So, I, I felt like I had a bit of a, a secret weapon in my back pocket. Um, and that everyone almost everyone does it now now there's cryo desiccated but no one was really adjusting the milks back then so i think that was a fun one to share that signature drink was also really cool it was kind of a risky one so basically for many years i i there's no they they kind of discourage it now but like six or seven years ago people would often make two signature drinks um and they would have them compare and contrast they're really hard to score because how do you score two drinks so i made these two drinks at nationals and i won and the the head judge came up and said you should probably just make that one drink and i didn't know how so basically i decided i would pour liquid nitrogen on half of it to freeze it and then dump the other half on and they could take a sip of the unfrozen bit and then melt it um so that was it was a really fun drink it was i think it was like a kind of creative one it was the in finals i poured a lot of liquid nitrogen into one of the cups and basically permafroze my signature drink but that year was really exciting because i actually thought i had something cool to share and and um and it was well received was that the same year as the backpack machine or was that a different year the the backpack was uh was 2015 and then i did it again in 2016. this, this the other thing i find hard with comp is so i still believe that the backpack that that vacuuming your espresso makes it taste better but <clears throat> within competition you always need to show something new um, so I, I've retired it, but I, that was also a really fun one. Um, that one was harder though. This is something I find hard about competitions is the power. If you think about carbonic acid, like dissolved carbon dioxide in espresso, we are calibrated to it, right? We drink it every day in espresso. And so you don't really notice it. And so to me, even though that it was actually really well received, I had good espresso scores, but the power of it is if you if you serve a normal espresso beside it, then you feel that sharpness and that bitterness that come from carbonic acid. Um, so that one was tricky where a lot of the innovations that happen, if it has to be, if you're calibrated to the way it was before, you're not going to notice it. And I couldn't really just like, I'm not going to serve someone an espresso I think is worse and be like, Oh, isn't that one bad? No, taste this good one. Cause they, the judges might think you're sort of fudging it a little bit. So, I really like that one too, but it was harder to get that message across to to the judges. Uh, aside from like, just do it, give it a go. Have you got any good advice for first time competitors? Yes, uh, probably three pieces of advice. So, one, read the rules. Um, that one's that one's super key. There's lots of weird little rules that can get you DQ'd. There's also rules that make competition easier for you if you understand sort of the format. You don't have to ask someone else. Um, to just reach out to people that know the comp and ask for help. The worst thing that they can do is say no. And to be honest, they're likely not, to, they're not going to say no. They might not have all the time that you need, but I have never met 
a competitor or a coach or anything that that would never answer any questions. I think we we think that that people won't help out or won't be open to to at least giving some advice, and they usually are. So reach out to people. And the last one, and this one, I took me a long time to learn, is like win or lose dive right into the score sheets right away spend time with your judges um to learn it can be i personally find it really hard sometimes where you you made coffee and, and this is your life and then basically the score sheet tells you that you don't know how to make coffee <laughs> and it's not true like it's a different format but i thought i found that like it can really sort of rock your world where you think you did really well and then all the things that you think you're good at suddenly you you have someone telling you that you're not but it's such an important learning tool to to jump in, figure out how you can improve, talk to your judges. Um, I think it also, I think this is my, a slight advantage, but the if you can spend time with judges, it humanizes them and humanizes you. And I think that connection and that relationship, because to be honest, you're going to serve that same judge again. Like if it's in the UK, it's probably the same set, a lot of the same judges again. So their opinion matters because you're probably going to serve them again. So if they didn't like something, or did like something, make sure you are adjusting to, to that. And, and if you feel more comfortable with them, I think you'll, you'll serve them better as well. Great answer. Like in the judges debrief, like how do you approach like asking the judges, like, do you go, Oh, can you tell me uh, where I went wrong? Or do you look on the score sheet and go, oh, I got a low score there. Like, can you tell me how I could have scored better here? How do you approach it? That's the key. And there, I think there's an art to it. So there's, there's a couple things. So one, they write in pencil. So look to see where there's eraser marks and things like that, because those be areas where the discussion have been backstage and they either moved you up and down. And so if there's a judge that has a lot of pencil on their erasing markers on their, their sheet, they're a good person to talk to. Um, another one is how you phrase questions. So a judge has to be very careful that they cannot coach you. And so you, in the same way you have to make your presentation easy to judge, you have to make your questions easy to answer. So it can be as subtle as, let's say you got a low score on something. You can't say, what could have made this better? What you should say is, where did I lose those points? So let's say you're at a two instead of a six. If you say, how can I make this better? The judge is going to go into like gut reaction mode, which is what they should do and say, I can't tell you how you could have made this better. But if you say, what lowered this? Then they can then they can say, oh, this this is what lowered and, and this is what lowered and this was my my experience on it. So I think really phrasing, and this is it comes back to just talking to people, phrasing those questions in a non-combative way um, makes it way easier. Because all the judges I've talked to, like they are, they are especially on the regional and national, they're often nervous for because they think that you, I don't know you're mad at them or. or <laughs> I was talking to one of our one of our roasters. He judged, and it was it was even someone that was in like the top the top four or five. They had a really good score. But he he remembered he like kept looking to see if they were looking at him because he was afraid that they were gonna come and talk to them. Cause I think it's hard. You've given someone a score. Um, it's it's really personal and, and they might take it hard. So I think one of the things too is if you come in friendly rather than aggressive, and you can just it's the same as a barista competition. If you set the tone in that first 30 seconds of what's happening that you're someone that is gonna guide them and, and be friendly and likable. If you do that same approach when you go into the judge's debrief, you are going to have a way, way easier time because the judge is disarmed in a good way where they don't feel like they're going to have to constantly defend themselves. They can walk you through the experience that they had and, and you can go from there. For sure. I completely agree with that. Like any 
any interaction with anybody in the competition like you've got to put your best foot forward whether that be like you know a runner or a timekeeper or anybody yeah everyone's i think the thing to remember is literally everyone is stressed um a little bit like i look at timekeepers and i i wouldn't even want to do that because i would be afraid that i would get distracted or or hit like start and stop twice and 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 so if you bear in mind that literally everyone on stage is they're they're having fun and they're there because they love it but everyone's a bit stressed um i think that makes it a bit easier and also everyone's there because they want to be there like nobody is paid to be there yeah yeah and yeah i think that's the other thing that um the wce has done a, a great job on lately is really letting people know that the judges are there because they love coffee and they love what they're doing i think all the rule changes too like they've been all well explained so i think that that sort of curtain between judging and competitors is it still needs to be there but it's a lot more transparent than it used to be and i think that's super healthy because it's it's humanizing both sides and, and allowing both sides to kind of communicate more was there anything else that you'd like to talk about competition wise anything i didn't ask you about anything you'd like to get off your chest I don't. I think. I think you kind of got it all. I'm. I'm super excited to to represent Canada in in Athens. I think it's going to be an amazing comp, and I I just applaud and thank you for having a podcast like this. I think again, comp, comp is such a niche thing that I think sometimes, um, like I, even on the YouTube videos, I know I don't have the most amount of views, but I, then I get great responses where I think they're really it's valuable information that people are hungry for, and so thanks for for doing a service for all the the competitors out there that might not have access to a, a coach or that info. Amazing. Well, like I'm super grateful to you for doing the videos and for taking the time to chat with me about this as well. Will I see you in Athens? And you will not see me in Athens. We'll have to, we'll have to video call then after. Yeah, definitely. Um, good luck. I, uh, I hope you do awesome. I hope you do the best. Thanks so much. Will. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Hello Judges. As expected, I really enjoyed chatting with Ben, and I think he dropped some super useful knowledge for anyone thinking about competing. My guest next week is UK Cup Tasters champion Midori Fujimoto from Ozone Coffee. Make sure you subscribe to stay up to date. You can email me at hellojudgespodcast at gmail.com, and I ask, please do not assess this podcast until after I have called time. Thank you. Time.